0: chapter 1 in the word of god and as you can easily see our theme this month is my sermon series draw near to his body and i hope that tonight or today you'll you'll discover that that body is represented today as the church, it is the church of the living God. And I, I want us to consider the truth of what the Bible teaches in Colossians chapter 1. And I'll just begin here in verse number 18. And let me mention that I'm going to use a lot of scriptures. If I had you turn to everyone, we'd be here for a couple of hours. And uh, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I just, I'm just i hoping that you'll notate some of these things. And I'm, I'm putting them out there so you understand that I'm not just taking isolated passages and trying to build doctrines out of single verses. The reality is that uh, for the verses that I give you today, there are probably a hundred more on each point that I could provide you. And if you need more information, it would be my delight as your pastor provide it to you. But in Colossians chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 18, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Lord, I pray that You would help us to have good understanding concerning the truth. Help us, dear Lord, to be drawn closer to Thee today as a result of this time together. Fill me now with Thy Spirit, I pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I could not tell you in strong enough terms how much God loves the church. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts in chapter 20 and verse number I believe it's 27, it says there that, or verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. How important was the church? And in this context, he's of course talking about the greater assembly of Of believers, but specifically he's talking about organized body of believers as well, because he's talking about pastors feeding those sheep who are members of their flock. The Bible reveals to us here that Jesus hath purchased that church with his own blood. Unfortunately, though we give mental assent and lip service to the reality that the church is the body of Christ, sometimes our lives do not share in the value that God has assigned to the church. There are those that are just outright disrespectful to the plan that God has established for the carrying out of His work. Some have read a few books and seen some YouTube videos by some naysayers or some uh, uh, armchair theologians that that, uh, don't have any understanding of truth that sound good but have led people away from a commitment to the church and they have become disrespectful and they have a negative predisposition to the whole concept of church itself. Yet for whatever the shortcomings of a church assembly, whatever disobedience may be there, understand that it is still God's divine plan for fulfilling His greater purpose of redeeming all mankind unto Himself. And I am fully aware that in a church even this size assembled together, there are those who perhaps are a little afraid of church. Maybe you've had bad experiences in a church. Maybe you're holding the whole concept and it's people at arm's length because you've had a bad experience in a church. You've been hurt by someone in a church. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody in a church? Let me see your hand. Be honest. Okay, Somebody's hurt you at a church somewhere. Or you've been disappointed in... In a leader in a church that you attended somewhere, okay? I would imagine that perhaps as many as 80 to 90% of the people that are here today would be able to, with the uplifted hand, say that in a church setting someone has injured them, hurt them in some way. But that notwithstanding, please understand that God is still committed to his perfect ideal, and that is. The ministry of the church. How many of you, when you were younger, made some bad decisions in life? Let me see your hand. All right, every hand ought to be up where you're making a bad decision right now. Okay, because uh, I don't want to turn anybody into a liar today, right? So, look, we've all been there. And how many of you are just glad if people don't evaluate Jesus on the basis of you? Let me see your hand. Okay, aren't you glad that people aren't, listen, but the reality is, sadly, that there are many people that will evaluate the body of Jesus on the basis of what they see in you. Now, you say, well, that's not right. Well, you know, the fact is that right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how people reason things through. Now, I remember when I was a kid, my mom took me on visitation one day, and we got to do something extremely special. She was going to take me all by myself out to lunch with her, and we were going to go to some place that we never went to. We were going to go to McDonald's. Back then, there wasn't just McDonald's on every street corner. I, I, I only ever remember going to one in our town. And uh, we, we lived in a pretty big town, but they just, there weren't as many of them. They weren't as available. And uh, the golden arches weren't just like this on a sign. It was over the building. How many of you remember them built like that? It was a part of the, the uh, architectural design of the building. And uh, you went in and they didn't have salads. And, you know, they didn't sell chicken or anything. They, they had hamburgers, french fries, milkshakes, and cokes. And, and they might have had a few other things, but that was about it. And I remember how excited I was to go to McDonald's with my mother. And I remember that my mom... She she bought a she ordered herself a cheeseburger, she ordered me a hamburger, just a little regular cheeseburger, a little regular hamburger, and then it was ten cents something like that. Probably was back back in the day. And uh, I remember we shared a French fry, and she let me get a chocolate milkshake, and uh, and my mom prayed with me. And I thought this is just the bee's knees. This is the greatest thing ever, right? And uh, some of you are old enough to remember what bee's knees are, right? And uh, if, if you're not old enough to remember, ask Tom. He is, right? Okay. But anyway, you know, look, I'm sitting there. I'm eating, eating away, and and my mom is there with me, and I think this is just the best thing ever. And my mom takes two or three bites into this cheeseburger, and on about the third or fourth bite into that cheeseburger, she took the sandwich away from her mouth, and there was a long pink string from her mouth all the way to the cheeseburger. She took it out of her mouth and opened it up, and sure enough, there was a piece of ABC bubblegum. How many of you know what ABC means? (laughs) Already been chewed bubblegum in the center of that McDonald's hamburger. Now, if my mom would have been a litigious woman, she would have owned a franchise. How many of you know that? At that point, I mean uh, she she would have had McDonald's for life, or she would have been set up I, I, I mean but she wasn't and and, and 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 I was just I was shocked, and my mom kind of was trying to hold the, what lunch she had ingested or already in, you know, and she let me finish my sandwich, but she just took her sandwich, she put the top back on it, she wrapped it up in the wrapper, and she put it in the trash can, and you know what I finished my lunch, and we left. Now, do you think that was the last time my mother ever ate at a McDonald's restaurant? For a while. You know what, I'm sure that we've probably eaten at McDonald's hundreds and hundreds of times since that day. You know, my mom didn't pass judgment on every hamburger establishment in the world because one person allowed their chewing gum to fall into a sandwich. Right? Let me say this to you. There's something way more important than hamburgers. It's the church for which Jesus shed his blood. And the fact that you bit into church and you came out with somebody's bubble gum doesn't mean that every church is bad. It doesn't mean that God had a bad plan. We need to understand something about the body of Christ, the principles regarding the body of Christ, to maintain a healthy perspective on it. And our participation then can be full and effective in the work of the church. So let us consider the truth that we cannot avoid. The Bible revealed to us here in verse 18 that He is the head of the body, the church. So who is the head of what has been called the body of Jesus Christ? It's Jesus, right? He's the head of the body. So he's not just the uh, person that holds the title of being the head of the church. He is functionally and in every way the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. The Bible reveals that to us, not only in Colossians, but also in Ephesians And chapter number 5, verse 23 specifically, talks about that Jesus is the Savior of the body, which is a reference there to the church of the living God. When you get home today, or sometime when your mind is alert and fresh, I want to challenge you to take the Bible and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because really 1 Corinthians chapter 12 gives us an idea of what God truly desires for that body to look like. It's people working together in concert with the purpose of God in a loving way that respects the role of every true believer in Jesus as they engage that greater work of the church. Now, I want to just uh, uh, make a statement here, and that is this, that the Bible tells us that in verse 13, that for by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit, for the body is not one member but many. Now, we were placed into the body of Christ at the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. We were baptized by His Spirit into the body of Jesus Christ. Now, we are members in particular, and a body doesn't just have one member, it has many. And God has designed the body to function and working together. Now, I want to just say that the body, or the church, is comprised of true believers in Jesus. True believers in Jesus. Now, how many of you have ever attended a church outside of freeway? Let me see your hand. Okay, everybody's hand practically is up. You've been to another church at some given point in time. Now, I don't believe I'm going out on a limb when I say this. And that is this, that you can go to almost any church anywhere in the world that has a membership role. And there will be names on that membership role of those who are not truly saved. So the church of Jesus Christ is not made up of all those who've joined the church. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of all those true believers in Jesus... Who with their understanding received the gospel message, took Christ as their Savior, and at that instant were baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ. Now how many of you know that not everything that glitters is gold? How many of you know that? How many of you have come to the realization that the moon is not made out of green cheese? Right? Some of you have figured that one out already, all right? And uh, look, you know that there is no Santa, Santa Claus, and we ate the Easter bunny when we were kids. Uh, and the fact is that uh, there are a lot of misconceptions that people labor under that we need to come to terms with. If I've just burst your bubble, we'll have some crisis counselors available after the service for you, okay? Uh, some of you are like, there's no Santa? What? The Easter? You've got to be... Listen, the fact is, not... Everyone that claims to be a Christian really is. And not everyone whose name is on a church roll is really a church member in the economy of God. The church is made up of true believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? You say, how do you know that? Well, there have been many times where I've dealt with people who were members, their name was on the roll. Maybe they even got baptized in water, but they were never truly saved. And it was evident upon personal visits with them and asking them about their, uh, their personal experience with the Lord and their testimony of salvation. And I discovered this person has no understanding of the gospel. They got baptized and their name was put on the church roster, but they were never really saved. And so while they may be a member of a local church because their name is on the roster they're not a member of the true church of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. How many of you are with me so far? Say amen. And and so look, we need to understand this. But here's the principle of the body that I want you to see. In Acts chapter 9, if you would go there quickly. In Acts chapter 9, we discover the testimony of Saul of Tarsus coming to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, how many of you know what God changed His name to? What was it? Paul. From Saul to Paul. Now, I I, want to just say this to you. We can't miss this because it is foundational to everything else that I'm going to say to you today. In Acts chapter 9, the Bible reveals here to us in verse number 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul... Why persecutest thou who? Me. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. What does the Lord say? Paul, while you're on your way to Damascus to beat Christians, to put them in stocks and in chains, to throw them in jail, to put them to death, when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. Because the Lord didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my disciples? He didn't do that. He said, Why persecutest thou me? Now, let me ask you a question. How many mamas in here today? Mamas, raise your hand up big and high if you would. Have grandmamas, any grandmamas in here? Have some like that? Some some folks are just swelling all up and I see the high pro glow uh, just all of a sudden coming on your countenance. You're proud of them kids. Listen, you'll understand what I'm about to tell you. Okay? Now, how many of you mamas, uh, you know that your kids are just human and you understand that they're capable of anything else that another human might be? How many of you, some of you are like, not mine, no way. And, and others of you, okay, yeah, I'm I, I got my feet on the ground here. But how many of if, if somebody picks a fight with one of your kids, they just picked a fight with you. How many of you know that to be so? All right? How many of, if if somebody's being mean or unfair to one of your kids, they have just awakened a giant monstrous mother bear. True or false? True. All right? All propriety and femininity is now going out the window. Right? Because someone is is on your little precious princess or prince. Right? True or false? True. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Yeah? Now, folks, if that's the way you feel about Susie and Johnny, and they're really little demons... Okay. When you touch one of God's kids, you just touched him. When you get on one of God's kids, you just got on his case. You understand? Listen, when you attack one of God's kids, you're on heaven's radar screen. Jesus said, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul was thinking... I have not laid a glove on God. I'm just attacking all these Christians that are rising up and undermining the Hebrew faith. And the Lord was communicating this, that these are my body when you touch them. You have touched me. Let me say something to your friends. The principle is that when you touch a believer... You have touched the body of Christ. So you better be careful about all of the naysaying and criticisms that you fob off onto other believers. You better be careful about your, your unkindness and your dismissiveness towards the people of God because when you're unkind to the people of God, you have been unkind to Jesus, to His body. You have done a disservice to his body, And we don't have to see it that way. Because we see things by man's perspective, not through the prism of the word of God. But the word of God reveals to us plainly that if we're saved, we're a part of that body. And if somebody hurts that body, you have just put the hurt on God. And I, and I think we need to just take a step back. And recognize that God planned marriage to be a picture of that relationship that He has with the church. He said, Two hath he shall become, two seth he shall become one. What God therefore joined together, let not man put asunder. So when a husband and wife are joined together, they're one flesh. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so you know what? Then Jesus said, and the Word of God reveals there in Ephesians 5, that no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. So listen, that that beautiful woman right there on the fourth row on the outer aisle is my wife. She's the love of my life. If I criticize her, you know what? I'm really being critical of me. Because God created us to be one. I it, it, Look, if somebody breaks her heart, they've just broken mine. They just hurt me. We're one. And so listen, in this church, when we begin to speak a word against another member of the church, we really begin to attack the body of which we are a part. Um, yesterday... Uh, we spent some time with uh, Cookie. She wanted to take us out to celebrate Timothy's birthday. And uh, at the table was, was her sister-in-law, Darla. And we were talking together. And uh, her husband has had some real problems with pain in his neck and back. And as they began to talk, it started out with a problem in his knee. And he was favoring his knee, and it affected his back. And because of what was going on in his knee and his back, it began to work its way up the spine to the neck. And so we might say, well, you know, uh, look, it's not going to bother me if the knee hurts because I am the index finger. You know, I'm always the one pointing the finger, right? But you know, it won't be long if that old spine gets out of kilter that not much is functioning. If you don't believe me, ask Patty. The fact is, when you touch a believer in Jesus, you have touched the very body of Christ. Understand that that is the principle that we're working from, and also know that we see here the power of the body. Of course, the, the, the head or the power, the authority over the church is Jesus. So I'm here today to tell you that the spirit of the living God, the, the spirit of Jesus himself, comes to take up residency in you, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which I have of God, and I'm not my own, so I'm to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which are God's. So the spirit of the living God comes to take up residency in me, and so he's dwelling in me. Jesus is living in me through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and the resident should be the president. Let me say that again. The resident should be the president. Now, come to think of it, how many of you are like me, you wonder if the guy living down at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is really calling all the shots right now? And I, 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 he's going to take questions on that later. Maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Look, listen, he's got to pull the card out somewhere. I've got a card here that's... Yeah, I live at 1600... But look... Folks, we, we need to allow the Lord Jesus to be the, the head, the power that calls the shots in our life. How many of you believe that you should practice the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? Let me see, you, see your hand. All right. should practice the Lordship. Now, um, I've heard a lot of people say this, and it bothers me when I do. They say dumb things like this. Either He's the Lord of all, or He's not the Lord at all. How many of you heard that one? Either he's the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all. Folks, can I tell you something? He's flat out the Lord all the time, whether you make him Lord of all or not. You understand? It's not up to you to declare it. He is that, right? Folks, God's not something because some atheist declared it. Right? He doesn't exist. Oh, okay, I guess that settles that. You declared it, right? And, you know, the fact of the matter is, whether you declare Him Lord of all, He's he's the sovereign Lord over all. And in the end, He'll prove that out in you and in everybody else because one day every knee will bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the meantime, we don't have to declare it. We need to live with that reality every day recognizing that He's the one calling the shots, right? So pretty soon we're going to say, folks, we're going to start having Sunday night church and all the people said, Amen. And and so then you're going to go home and you're going to have a, a pot roast lunch and you're going to sit in the recliner and you're going to listen to some golf commentator put you to sleep and uh, and you know what you're going to say i don't i'm not sure we're going to go to church tonight i just don't feel like it i'm i got a long week ahead of me right so who's who's calling the shot there who is that the head calling the shot no right you know Listen, my, my wife has told me that she'll allow me to be the head of our household. <laughs> you know, you're the head, but I'm the neck. Right? You know, the fact is, sometimes that's how we treat God. We say, okay, God, you're the head, but I'm the neck. You know, I'm going to kind of decide which way we're going to turn on this. And we've got to see that He's the, the authority over the church. And there is another sense in which we consider the word power, and that is that God gives us the enablement to do what He calls us to do. And God will never ask you to do one single thing that He does not enable you to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 24 says, Faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. So God, when He calls you to do something, will give you the wherewithal, the means, the enablement, to do whatever it is that He asks of you To do. And so that is by none other than the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Ye shall receive power when, after that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. The Holy Spirit is the revelation of the power of God in us and has been given to us as a gift. So that we can do precisely what God has called us to do. And listen, those who are truly saved are indwelt by the Spirit, and we're commanded as well to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit at the moment of conversion. And He He, He will come and He will abide with us forever. That's what Jesus said. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You say, well, I thought my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ. Right? He's the agent of the Christ life. Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I thought you said that the Spirit lives in me. He does. The Spirit of Christ. Live within me, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, those who are indwelt by the Spirit are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible commands it. Now, the evidence of that will be that you begin to resemble Jesus Christ. Because the fruit of the Spirit are really the virtues and attributes that we see personified in the person of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, temperance, and faith. Those are the things that will abide us, and Jesus personified all of that. And that's what the Holy Spirit produces in us. They're called the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And so, the Spirit of the living God wants us to submit ourselves. Now, some people say, oh God, would you give me more of your spirit? Give me a double portion of your spirit. The only way that that could happen is if there were two Holy Spirits. Right? Yeah. I asked somebody the other day, how are you doing? They said, if I was any better, I'd have to be twins. The the fact of the matter is, for you to have a double portion of the Holy Spirit, there would have to be two Holy Spirits, and there's only one, right? And so listen, you got all of the Holy Spirit that you would ever receive the very moment that you got saved, and you have all the power available to you that that inhabits God. The problem is not us needing more of God. It's God desiring more of you. That's how the fullness comes. How many of you remember when you were a kid in science class, you learned the principle of water displacement? And, and and you maybe put some Kool-Aid in the bottom of a glass, and then you took a pitcher of water and you started pouring it out. And before you know it, there was no evidence that there was ever Kool-Aid in the glass. Why? Because whatever you filled it with, displaced what was there. And God wants us to stop diluting the power source by filling up our hearts and lives with all of the things that this world has to offer and determined to be filled with the Spirit. Why? So that we can function as full members of the body, participating in the work of the Lord. We see the participation of the body in First Corinthians chapter 12. And it's uh, 31 verses there, but it would be worth your while to take some time and read through that. But understand something here. God's plan is for you and I to be laborers together with Him. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9 says. For we are laborers together with God. How? Well, He's the head and He wants us to be His hands extended to those that are hurting. His heart demonstrated he wants us to see with His, his eyes. And, and we're not going to have that perspective apart from the light that the Bible gives us. It's a light on the path. And, 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 and we understand that it illumines our minds. The ministry of the Holy Spirit illumines our minds of that truth so we can begin to see things as God sees them. So understand, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And we know that We are members of that. If you read this, you'll discover that we're to cooperate with each other. We're to work together in harmony, not to try to compete with one another. I mentioned in the drive-in service that when I had COVID, there were some days where I was laying in the bed and how many of you have ever laid in the bed and, and it just starts to hurt to lay in bed? It's just uncomfortable. You know, you, you can have a good bed. You can have my pillow, You can have Giza Dream Sheets. You know what I'm saying? You can have everything in the world that Mike Lindell has to offer and it's just not helping, you know? And uh, you just got to get up. And it was one of those days and I and I got up and I went in the front room and I'm sitting there drinking some tea with honey and lemon and, and Linda, she just made me practically bathe in the stuff for two weeks and, and uh, she was always bringing me tea with honey and lemon and And I appreciate my honey. And uh, but anyway, uh, but anyway, I I I was sitting there and and you know I was just so tired of listening to all of the political rhetoric and jargon. I just turned the news off. I'm like, I'm I'm done with that, you know. So there was a golf tournament on, and uh, now that always kind of calms me down. How how many of you it bores you to death? All right, It, it, it bores you to death. It calms me down a little bit. You know, it's like. Well, Jim, looks like he has about an eight-footer. I think this is going to break a little to the left. He's got to get over the ridge, and then it's going to break to the left, and he's got to watch his speed on this now. And uh, he's lining up. He's got a new grip now, and uh and the uh, and, and there it is, open. He's got a good line. Oh, boy! If that was an inch closer, it would have gone right in the hole. You know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, after listening to about, (laughs) you know, 15 minutes of that, you're just like, "Ah." (laughs) that just puts you right to sleep. You know, you're watching all the greenery and everything. And it just kind of calms me down. I, I remember my dad used to watch that stuff, put me to sleep all the time, but. Um, and I guess now I'm going to be on a Geico commercial because I've become my parents, right? You know,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm the guy in the parking lot. Come on, come on back. You know, <laughs> I'm the guy giving advice at Home Depot. <laughs> you know, but uh, but is that the Geico commercial? So I think it is. But uh, but anyway, everybody was all taken up because there was a golfer who was participating in the World Golf Championships who the day before the tournament started slammed his finger in a sliding glass door. And everybody thought well, he was going to have to withdraw. He can't play. It's too, it's too mangled. So he went to a to a hand surgeon who did surgery on his hand and removed his fingernail off the index finger. Now if you're a golfer, you count on those hands being able to, to grip that club. I, I mean, when I was on the tour, that's what I did. I don't know how you do it, but <laughs> that was in my dreams. <laughs> but uh, but look, um, this guy had mangled his finger, and you know what? He he took a golf glove and he cut it off, cut the index finger off, and he wrapped it up, and uh, he 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 wore that to keep this side down, and and at the end of each round, the thing was just soaked in blood. Okay. Now, you might look at the body and say, well, in the grand scheme of things, you can live without a fingernail, right? How many of you think you could live without a fingernail? Let me see your hand. All right, we want you to come up so we can remove yours now so you can demonstrate to all of us how little you need it. God did everything for a reason. There's not inconsequential things. You know, how many of you have ever had your appendix out? Alright? You know, how many have ever had your gallbladder out? You know, I'm living without a gallbladder right now. People are like, oh, you don't need it. I'm thinking, really? You know, you, you really? why did God put it in there then? Is that spare parts? You, you, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, but, but God has a reason. Look, God put you in this body for a reason. And you might say, well, you know, I've really boogered up my finger, and uh, not, not by this, but by... This, you know, I've really boogered up my finger and and it's black and blue and I don't know if it's very useful. Guess what? God will let it heal and allow you to find a place of usefulness back in the economy of God and in His work again. And look, God has called us to participate together in harmony with His purpose and plan being labors together with God and with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Having respect Unto the fingernail on the pinky finger. Okay? How many of you like me that there have been some nights where you've got up in the middle of the night and you were staggering about trying to find your way into the little room in your house that you need to stop in a couple of times a night? (laughs) And you've in the process stubbed your toe on the bedpost? How many of you like me on that? All right? And then you're jumping around. Right? And you're sitting there going... And you don't want to wake everybody up in the house so you're suffering in silence. And you just stubbed your little toe. Big deal. It's just a little toe, man. Get over it. Right? It's inconsequential. Right? Man up. <laughs> right? <laughs> We're really good at saying that stuff until we stub our toe. Right? You know, the fact is that there is no insignificant work in the economy of God. You know what? Every single thing that you do in the name of Jesus for His work is important. There's nothing that is mundane or trivial about the work of God. Period. If you say, I'm going to volunteer to go and sanitize the restrooms so that no one worries about getting COVID, you have performed a great service, and if you do it with the right heart, as unto the Lord, it rises to the level of Worship. So Miss Paula could stand up here and sing beautifully and we would all worship the Lord together with her and we would think that is so significant. But there may be someone that goes and sanitizes the restrooms and that allows someone to have the comfort to come in and worship the Lord without worry and they get saved and we don't even give that a second thought. There are no insignificant things in the work of the Lord, there's no such thing as a trivial or a mundane task in the work of God. It is all necessary. Now, we, we must choose to love our head, and we will correspondingly love each part of his body. Each part of his body. I'm, I'm glad that my wife teaches me this every day, because there's way more of my body to love now than there used to be. There's there's fewer of some things like hair, right? It's, it, it stopped growing on my head, and it's growing like crazy out my ears and my nose, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, it, you know it's it's amazing. You go into the men's grooming section of the uh, you know the drugstore, and it's all it's all trimmers for your nose hair and ear hair, you know. And look, there's some of you I'm gonna buy you one for Christmas. You know, better yet, if you can't afford, I'll, I'll I'll take you down the store and get you one today. You know, you've got a little veritable forest growing out of the side of your head, and you're kind of oblivious to it, and it's bothering me. It's kind of distracting. I can't focus during the message. I'm like, wow, that guy needs to trim that thing. You know, I I think there's a family of of sparrows living in there. You know, what I mean, it's just you know. <laughs> now now listen, I'm I'm just making light. But folks, you know, when you choose to love Jesus, what comes along with that is you're going to love His body. And I think that that's what God has ordained. Now, I want to read you a verse that I think is profound in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 12. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. God doesn't want you to say, well, yeah, I love everybody. No, He wants you to continue to grow in love with them. How many of you, when you got married, if you're a married person, you felt like, man, I'm so deeply in love right now, I just can't even imagine. And as you look back over it now, you think, I didn't even know what love was then. How many of you are like me on that? And so what's happened is you begin to grow in your understanding of what love is. And your love has begun to grow and abound. And that's God's plan for us within the body of Christ, to abound and to grow in love one with another. And as we love God as we should, we're going to love His kids. Because you know what? We're not going to see them as Bible-thumping, reborn Christians that are judgmental and they're the index finger on the body of Jesus. No, we're going to see them as our brothers and our sisters that we love. Because that's indeed what they are. You see, this loving participation together is how God ordained that His body would function. And by the way, if you don't love the brethren, there's a serious question about your salvation. Because the Bible says in First John chapter 3, Here, hereby, hereby we know that we have passed from death unto life, that we love the brethren. And so I think that we need to understand that that's God's plan to participate together in this great work that we call church. Now, I'm almost done, so don't, don't get all twisted up thinking the pastor is going to preach something. The stores close or something. I, here, here's what I want to tell you. I recognize that many of you love yourself. You know what the Bible says? No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the Church. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, "My problem, Pastor, is that I have this really low self-esteem. I have low self-esteem." And I'm thinking to myself you know what you're here wanting me to prop you up. You know why? You want everybody else to think as well of you as you do. Some you know people have a higher opinion of you. You don't know, I just despise myself no you don't you know why? Most of you are taking nourishment pretty regularly, right? How many of you, you're working on that COVID-19, right? Kind of like the freshman 15. I'm trying to work mine off so this suit will fit me better. I can button it in front, you know. But look, folks, almost all of you today when you got up, did some cleaning. Maybe took a shower or a bath, okay? Maybe if some somebody got really fanatical and even brushed your teeth, right? And, uh, and 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 maybe you're way over the top and you floss, okay? And then others of you, you know, you put a comb through your hair, and you, you don't you put, put clean clothes on, right? H- how many of you know what I'm talking about here? Why did you do that? Because you are caring for yourself, right? You go in the store and say personal care items, right? Means I'm going to care for myself with this, right? We care for ourselves quite a bit, you know. Today, I you know I got up, four forty-five. I didn't want to be up, right? I wanted to hit the snooze button. In fact, I want to take a sledgehammer to the clock altogether at that hour. And I, you know, but I knew I had to be up and at them and, and spend some extra time in prayer and in the Word and and uh, but you know what? I managed to make my way into the shower and I managed to put you know put some toothpaste on the toothbrush and. Run it over my teeth, and you know I managed to put a comb through the little hairs on my head and position them all just so, and spray them down so they wouldn't move, and and uh, and make sure that I was presentable because I care. Do you know what I'm going to say this to you? What was foundational of that was me getting in the shower to wash off whatever should have been on there. Okay, all, get all the sleep out of my eyes. Get all the B.O. off of my body, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't. You really should. We're going to have an invitation in a minute. (laughs) We're going to take up a love offering, buy you a bar of soap and a can of deodorant. But, uh, But look, why do you say that, Pastor? Because you know what God wants to do? He wants us to understand that He's purifying us make us more like him. Now that was accomplished instantly positionally at the moment I got saved. I, by the washing of the water of the word I was made blameless. I was made perfect. I was made holy and that's what God sees. Now uh, let me just is it okay if I just since I'm dispelling myths today no no Easter Bunny, no Santa Claus, no moon of green cheese. Today, I want to dispel another myth. Can I do that? Let's do this. All right, I'm going to have
1: fun. All
0: right. So when God sees me, what does he see me through? Huh? What? Through the eyes of love, through Jesus? You know, the blood. Okay, we hear that a lot. He sees me through the blood. Can I tell you something? When God sees His child, He sees them. He doesn't see through anything. He's God. He doesn't need to filter anything out. He's God. He sees you for who you are. And when you get saved, you know who you are? Well, the Bible says you're blessed. The Bible says you're loved. The Bible says you're forgiven. The Bible says you're accepted. The Bible says you're adopted. The Bible says you're holy. The Bible says you're perfect. The Bible says you're unblameable. So God doesn't have to see through anything to get to that. Do you understand? Now, it was the blood of Jesus Christ that accomplished that, but He washed it away. So God doesn't need to look through that to see me, He sees me in the person of Jesus Christ, pure and holy, spotless and unblameable. He made me clean. He said in John 15 and verse 3, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. It is God that cleans you up. But understand this, practically He wants us To bring our lives into the light of who we are eternally. And to live up to what God has already eternally accomplished for me and for you. I am holy before God. And so now He calls me to reflect my eternal standing in my temporal living. He calls me to reflect... My eternal standing in my temporal living. The Bible says, As he therefore hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means everything you do in your life. Be holy. For he has said, Be holy, even as I, the Lord your God, am holy. First Peter 1, 15 and 16. And so God is calling us to live up To what He has already declared to be so in heaven. Because of the finished work of Christ. To live such that I'm not a hypocrite. That I am that but I'm living like something else. He wants me to live up to what He has created already in heaven. Understand that He will wash us with the water of the word of God. To take away anything that would infect us as a body, from being useful and effective. And we're called to allow the truth to have the effect of making us more like Him. He wants the body to be clean. And so He cleans it up. But He wants us to be laborers together with God, willing to allow the Holy Spirit to produce in us on this earthly plane what He has already declared that we are on a heavenly plane. And the last thing I want to say is that there's a plan that God has for this body. There's a plan for it. Why has He created it? That we could carry out His great commission. Did you know that God wants bodies to grow? How many of you know that? Um, If a baby is born and it doesn't grow, we take it to the doctor because we think, something's wrong. And if there's a church and it never grows, guess what? Something's wrong. God wants the body to grow. When it doesn't, there's something wrong. If you study the Scriptures there, you'll notice in Acts 2, uh, the the Bible uh, says, uh, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And then in chapter 6 it says, and and the Word... uh, 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 grew and multiplied, and the number of the disciples grew and multiplied greatly, it says. What happened? God was allowing that body to see some growth. Now, somebody told me one time that uh, once you reach a certain age, the only thing that continues growing on your body are your ears. Right? Is that true? I don't know. Have we discovered that scientifically? Trust the science on this, folks. (laughs) we've got to listen to the science here. <laughs> look, maybe that will help me keep my mask on better because I have little ears, you know, and sometimes it flops off, you know. But but maybe if I, if I trust the science on that, you know, they'll keep growing to where my mask will stay on. But, but look, God wants us to grow, and that's His plan. Now, some people say, well, Pastor, it's not about the numbers. I, I get that. I get it. Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you have a bank account? How many of you in round numbers know how much is in there? Let me see your hand. In round numbers. All right. How many of you check it periodically to make sure that you're not overdrawing? All right? It's not about the numbers. All right? Other than the third and fourth grade Sunday school teacher, how many of you know how many third and fourth graders we had in Sunday school last week? You know what's important to us? Things like money how much we have of it. While we busily want to convince everyone else that it doesn't matter how many people we have in church, but we know how much money we have in the bank. It reveals a value system. Because if I count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, that represents eight souls for whom Jesus died. So if all of a sudden half of them decide they're not going to come to church anymore, are you going to tell me I shouldn't be concerned about one through four. The fact of the matter is, God loves all of them, and so should I. And I should be worried if we're seeing the church atrophy as a body, or no longer growing as a body because there's something wrong there. God wants you to grow personally. He wants us to grow as a church. There are more people on planet Earth than there's ever been in the history of humanity. And the need of the gospel is greater than it has ever been. So my friends, God has a plan for the body. Now, I want to just say, we've got to submit ourselves to leadership of the head. Make him the preeminent one in our lives so that we can fulfill the role within God's plan that he's ordained. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. The head of the body is worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of you giving him everything. Back a couple of weeks ago, we had COVID come to visit our home. And Timothy had COVID, and, and I had COVID. It wasn't any fun. And it disrupted Timothy's basketball season. I felt bad for him because he was on the basketball. It disrupted Phoebe's too because she had the quarantine at home, and she missed some basketball games. And, and, and Tim missed all but two of the remaining games of their season. And then when he came back, because he'd missed practices and had COVID, the coach didn't want to put him in the game. And uh, he was kind of feeling bad about all that. And so, you know, we were just talking about sports and think, you know, inequities and things. And I said, "So let me tell you a story. When I was in high school, I loved basketball like he he, he loves to play basketball and chip off the old block and." Anyway, I, my senior year, I was going to start uh, as the point guard for our high school in Seoul, Korea. And we, we had a dynamic team. We got 42 wins, no losses over a two-year period. We were the champions of the Far East. We, we went to Okinawa, Japan, and uh, we won the championship my, my uh, sophomore year. We went back, defended our championship my junior year, played against teams all over uh, the, the Far East, and uh, it was a wonderful thing. And now I was going to be the starting point guard on that team my senior year. God began to redirect in my family, and uh, my dad uh, made the decision that we're going to return from the mission field and he was going to take a pass in the States. And so knowing how important it was to me to be able to finish my senior year with my friends and to play on that championship team, they talked to me and they said, Son, if you want to stay... You can stay and live with one of your friends until you graduate and you can come home. And I said, no, we're a family, and uh, I I need to support the family and what's going on, so I'll I'll go. Well, man, it was heartbreaking to me. Well, we moved to California, and I I enrolled in a high school in Huntington Beach, California. And I went out for tryouts there, and and I made the team. no doubt I was going to start as the point guard on that team. But I'm tell you something. I was taking somebody else's spot who thought they were going to be the point guard, and they'd played together. Most of the guys on that team had played together, and this would be their fourth season playing all together. And I was Johnny Come Lately, and so they some of the guys didn't like me all that much. But I just was I was going to give it all I had. I was going to lay it all out there on the line every time I laced them up. And so that particular year, we played in three tournaments my senior year. In all three tournaments, I won all tournament team. In the tournament that we won the, the title to, I was named the tournament MVP. And, and that year, we I, we had a guy named Mike Pemper who was the center on our team. He was seven foot tall. And uh, we, we had a really tall front line, and we didn't go quite as far as we thought we were going to go, but we did pretty well that season. Well, I, I was second on the team in scoring. I was second in rebounding, and I was first in assists. And end of the year, we had some professional athletes come to a big uh, awards ceremony and banquet that was being held at a country club in Southern California, and they were handing out awards for different things. And, uh, and basketball was my big sport, and I played all the sports, but that was the one that I really gave my all to. And, and, uh, and so when they started calling out the names for different awards, uh, different ones, got their awards, and and, uh, when they said, we have some members of our squad that have uh, made the all-state team, the all-conference team, and some were nominated for all-state. And I'm thinking, I'm in. I had the numbers to prove it. And uh, there were two guys that had played there and attended that school for many years, they were nominated for all-conference team. They were nominated for all-state. One of them eventually came all-state. One of them got two of them got all-conference, but my name wasn't mentioned. Now I I know there's no I in team, but there is a me, right? <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking this isn't right. I, I can't believe this. When I gave my all. I put my my heart and soul into this. I I, I played defense like a demon. I I ran harder than anybody. I I worked harder than anybody. And I I deserved that. So I didn't want to be unkind and throw cold water on everybody's happy moment, you know. But I, I got up to go to the bathroom and I was so upset I went outside. And I just was cooling down a little bit. And my basketball coach's wife saw me get up and leave and she knew I probably was feeling poorly at that moment. And she followed me out. And she said, Mark, I want to talk to you. She said, we all know that you deserve to be all-conference, be nominated for all-state. And these other guys, they've been here for four years. And they worked hard for four years. And the truth is that you're worthy of that award. But we decided to give it to these guys anyway. I thought, well, if I'm worthy of it, why didn't you give it to me? You know, I want to just say something to you. Jesus is worthy of your everything. But because we're so used to living for the world, we just don't give Him what He's worthy of. His body is worthy of your service and your sacrifice. Give in love to the one who's worthy of it. The body of Christ. Lord God, we thank you today for loving us. Thank you, dear Lord, for this time that we could consider the body of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to keep it in its proper perspective and to engage it in a way that would glorify You. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Perhaps you're seated in this room and you would say, Pastor Mark, I'm one of those that has been claiming to be Christian, but in reality, in my heart, I'm not certain that if I died right now, that I would go to heaven to be with God. And I'm concerned about that. And if that's you, I don't want to embarrass you in any way. But I want to have the privilege of just remembering you in a word of prayer. And so today, if you would say, Pastor Mark, I'm not positive if I died right now that I would go to heaven to be with God. But I'm concerned about it. And I don't want you to embarrass me, but I would appreciate it if you would pray for me. If that's you today while no one is looking, I wonder if you just slip your hand up. Just put it up. Write that down. I'll see where you are. Pray for you. God bless you. Is there someone else? Pastor Mark, pray for me. I just don't know. I just don't know. Here's my hand. And maybe there's someone that would say, I know that I'm saved, Pastor, but I've had kind of a negative attitude towards the church, which is the body of Christ. And I, I want to have. God's perspective on His body. And I want to engage it because I know He's worthy of that. I want to love it because I know He commands it. If that's you today, you'd say, I haven't been loving the body of Christ like I need to. Here's my hand. Pray for me. I wonder if you just lift it up as well. God bless you and you and you. God bless you and you. God bless you and you. He purchased it with His own blood. That's how important it is to Him. It needs to become important to all of us. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And when we do, whether you've lifted your hand or not, if God is dealing with you about some decision that you need to make, perhaps you're not certain you're on your way to heaven. If that's you, when we stand to sing in a moment, I want to invite you to just come straight to me. I'll have someone who will have a mask on who can take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you can be absolutely sure that you're saved on your way to heaven and never doubt it, be the greatest decision you've ever made. Maybe God's leading you to say, I need to begin loving the body of Christ like I never have before. Now that COVID is upon us, I'm appreciating its role in my life more than ever. I want to love it as God would have me love it. I want to serve through that ministry like God would have me do, knowing He's worthy of it. Maybe you just want to kneel down and, and make, make that commitment to the Lord today. Will God help us in these moments to honor Thee with our choices? We ask it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Let's stand together if you're able. And Pastor Pack is going to begin singing, and as he does, God is speaking to your heart. We invite you to step out and come.
1: Just as I am See, I'm not sure I'm safe Pastor. Would you come? I invite you to come
0: going to sing one more verse as we sing. We invite you to come.
1: God is dealing with you. You respond.
0: Father, thank you for this time together in your house. Thank you for these sweet people. Lord, I pray that you would allow the message to remain in our hearts long after the service is over. And may it make a difference for each of us, not only for time, but also for eternity. For this we pray in the lovely name of Jesus.